Namaste and welcome to the 10 p.m. session today, the Wednesday 10 p.m. session. And of course, uh, with Shri Vibhuti Jha and today we have Ruchir Sharma with us. So welcome Ruchir and uh, Vibhuti Ji. Uh, let me introduce a topic today. We are talking about the West and its uh, patronizing attitude towards uh, democracies or non-West, I would say. And uh, the non-West, uh, I mean, that also includes, I think, a bit of Eastern Europe, maybe even Germany for that matter. And uh, the seeds go back uh, to the American Revolution, the so-called free spirits, the so-called Bill of Rights, and the so-called uh, um, equality principle. Does it really work that way, Richard? Well, I'm glad that you uh, started off with these three principles because uh, there's this uh, common misconception uh, that the US is the oldest current democracy. Uh, it's some sort of pioneer of uh, this modern model of, uh, of governance and uh, political organization. Whereas uh, in, in truth, the U.S. is actually one of the youngest democracies in the world because it only became a full democracy in the 1960s with uh, civil rights uh, uh, legislation that gave uh, full and equal uh, rights, access and participation to all of its citizens. So you do uh, keep in mind when they say that they've been a democracy since 1776, that in those days it was not full franchise. It was only adult males who owned property, white males at that. Uh, so uh, slaves uh, were not counted, obviously, women were not counted, and even uh, what was considered to be white uh, was uh, was not as clear-cut as uh, some might say, think it is today, that there are m many instances of uh, municipalities and of states within the U.S. considering non-Protestants, non-Anglo-Saxons, so people from Italy, from Poland, or from Spain, uh, so Catholics or Orthodox uh, Christians uh, from Eastern Europe, they were not considered white enough. Uh, they were seen as uh, unfit for uh, for democracy, that democracy was uh, apparently the fruit of the Protestant genius <laughs> that uh, blooms in the Anglosphere. And uh, unfortunately, this myth has taken hold. It's been fostered very uh, carefully and lovingly within the U.S. through the educational system. And now I do think that people in the U.S. actually believe this. And hence, they go around the world seeking to spread what they call democracy, both through their official wings, such as their National Endowment for Democracy, which is this wonderful CIA-promoted uh, NGO that goes around spreading democracy, which means creating coup d'etats and uh, color revolutions and regime change. And very openly, they say that this is their uh, objective and they're very proud of uh, their greatest success, which was the Maidan revolution of, uh, of Ukraine in 2014. Ukraine, yeah. Mm. Yes, uh, quite right. So Vibhuti ji, you are going to be uh, contesting an election on these very premises. So <laughs> how would you answer uh, what Ruchir has said? Because every time India and America have a summit or even otherwise e e even smaller events, uh, 
the standard line that comes the oldest democracy and the largest democracy you know the largest democracy part is certainly true but the oldest democracy part is a myth it is part of that you know that manifest destiny doctrine uh, that is being sought to be imposed on the world don't you think oh it is it is it is very true and uh, thank you ruchir for joining us today so you have been absent for a long time and you have many fans on jaipur dialogue so they wanted to see you and i'm glad you have made yourself visible yeah, you know so that's wonderful thank you for the invitation so, so what what i'm talking about here is that yes i'm entering the political arena only because of the reason that sometimes you have the last straw on the camel's back so when the new york state assembly of which i'm going to be contesting for the seat there when they were going to pass a law not a resolution pass a law that swastik is a hate symbol that's the time when we galvanize and i wondered if we are not in it then we will always keep begging for favors and correcting the situation so that is the, that is the inspiration for me to get in and as mr jayshankar only last time pointed out that we are a civilizational state we are a civilizational country united states is a is a democratic polity of a recent time so that's a very interesting correction of the narrative and that's what i'm here for so you know i'm trying to do that having done most of the time but let's remember one thing very clearly again democracy is a tool which has descended from you know the thinkers philosophers will call many ways to govern the system democracy is the latest means which has transferred from monarchy and whatever else to democracy rule of the people but the modern day kings still live in white house they still live in 10 downing nothing has changed so the important part is that the western narrative and institutional building that's what is important for us to bear in mind and they like to control their colonialism of the, of the imperial kind ended but the economic imperialism still continues and we can't doubt that part of it at all but it is what is true again is that you know in this part of the world if you do not agree with them then it is a problem it's my way or a highway the the theos of what that the theological belief still continues in a different form that's the only difference so but then in a harvard study they said the democracy is highly deeply imperiled how the elected representatives gradually subvert the democratic process to increase their power so let's know remember let's bear in mind that it's all about power struggle who imposes their will on the other jiski lathi uski bhais has morphed into ideological domination of minds and that's what we are witnessing in this part of the world and this is very interesting as the saying goes you know we can't deny this this reality uh, sanjay ji and ruchir and the audience as i want to say we cannot deny the reality that it is imposition of one's will that becomes critical in the game play and we have to understand how to advance our own game play if we keep listening to other people's game play then we will be playing their game let's remember baseball is not played the same way as cricket so we have to remember that we have to understand you know like somebody i told yesterday that if they do not know how to enjoy vada pav they cannot rate indian food then right 
they will keep saying that their burger is superior to vada pav and we are in totally diametrical opposite point of view at this at this at this scenario so it's a very interesting thing the way the democracies are operating one thought that i will leave behind is that enemy of my friend is my friend that's the interesting part and it applies to india and united states in more ways than one so pakistan is your enemy they are my friend russia is your friend so they are my enemy this is the way the the whole game play is emerging and we have to be careful about how to change that narrative if the barbarian is there at the gate atithi devo bhava will not work so at many levels we have to begin to operate adjust and fine tune our own way to deal with that entire scenario thank you sanjay ji kahan gaya ho gaya ha ji ha ji आपके साथ ही हैं। मैंने कहा कि आप अंधेरे में कैसे चले गए साहब? नहीं नहीं बिल्कुल हमारे जोधपुर में कहते हैं ना कि हूं था सू दूर कोनी तो आई एम वेरी मच हियर सो ओके नाउ लेट्स कम टू द ब्रास टैक्स द वे द यूनाइटेड स्टेट्स ऑपरेट्स स्पेशली द डेमोक्रेट्स बिकॉज़ दे सीम टू बी द एस्टैब्लिशमेंट राइट नाउ एंड टुडे यस आई हर्ड that on the uh, in the eid greetings uh, right honorable president of the united states said that uh, the world is struck by islamophobia so 911 apparently was an act of islamophobia i guess and uh, this whole business of imposing its narrative all over the world this has uh, got to the status of a fetish what we see going on in the uh, russia ukrainian theater has been uh, building like that when russia wanted to truly democratize it wasn't allowed to and uh, indian of course are given daily lectures but with our infinite uh, sanatan eternal patience we have better means of coping with it uh but a lot of other uh, countries have not been able to cope with it the democratization of the arab spring times in the middle east that was attempted you know what it led to and uh, this has been a constant and it's become so oppressive that i sometimes feel that china in spite of its problems with india and its eyes on india Uh, seems a better bet than the united states am i going to the extreme roger well i would uh, it depends on what we're playing if we're placing bets on the us or on the or, or on uh, on china uh, i don't think either of them are interested in a third power rising especially in eurasia so uh, both of them have a shared interest in keeping india the way it is uh, uh in terms of geopolitical power uh the question is uh, what methods do they use and also why is it that uh, that india feels the need to hitch its wagon to another person's horse instead of boldly uh plotting what our courses you know, that uh, we should be planning the five year plans and planning commission are gone but uh, you know to plan for the big picture in the next 10 20 50 100 years what are the milestones that we have for our state for our civilization for our culture for our economy and then draw a road map to reach those and in that you know once you have a goal 
and clarity of thought as to why you have this goal and why uh, you need to inspire the whole nation to go with you on this goal, then it becomes a lot easier to choose the tools that help you uh, achieve these goals. Rather than being wedded to the tools out of some moral fascination or out of nostalgia that, oh, we inherited this constitution or this system or this judiciary, uh, rather than that, a good tool is one that helps you achieve your goals. A good vehicle is one that gets you from your current position to your desired destination. A bad one is one that breaks down and keeps you in its uh, in your current place. Now, this is what many people understand. That's This is the point of the exercise of power, that uh, things like democracy, the constitution, or dictatorship, or communism, or uh, capitalism, these are tools that you use to achieve a broader set of socioeconomic goals and upon those socioeconomic foundations you build the culture that you desire you build the society that you desire so that's something that we have to embrace this sort of strategic thinking that is not just about oh uh, if we play nicely with america they you know will be impressed by our loyalty and they'll you know uh, extend their hand and pull us out of the mud why would they do that is there anything they gain by uh, creating a third, not even a superpower, they're creating another regional power in Asia? Not necessarily. Uh, they're not interested in having big, successful uh, states that uh, pursue their uh, interests boldly. Uh, they like having pliant client states who do their dirty work for them. Uh, America's favorite allies are the ones who are complete dictatorships internally, and, and the U.S. is happy to turn a blind eye to what happens within Pakistan, what happens within Saudi Arabia, what happened uh, in the past in Argentina or Chile, as long as their geopolitical goals are taken care of by this uh, wonderful external contractor that they've outsourced it to. Now, India is not willing or able to play that role. Uh, and this is why they keep saying, oh, India is a young democracy. It's a messy democracy. It comes with challenges. This is what they mean. They mean that you know, when we say do this, when we say jump, uh, India doesn't say how high. India asks, why? What do I get out of it? <laughs> Whereas when you say jump to you know, Islamabad or to Riyadh, they're like, oh, yes, yes. You know, they do it with great uh, enthusiasm. Or at least they did until uh, Biden started... Uh, uh, sending his emissaries to uh, to lecture them as well. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know if you uh, how many of our viewers followed this, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, a very senior U.S. diplomat was in uh, Saudi Arabia, and uh, the Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman met him at a beach resort wearing shorts, which is already cool. a big breach of diplomatic protocol. Is showing him how little he thought of uh, of him. And then when he, uh, the U.S. diplomat started giving his lecture that, oh, what you did to Khashoggi was very wrong. He was our guy, Washington Post journalist. You have to respect their rights. Apparently, Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman shouted at him and berated him in front of all of his staff, in front of everyone present. So uh, even the most loyal client states are starting to uh, get frustrated with this uh, carrot and stick approach or you know, I should say, you know, two sticks approach. There's no carrot anymore. There's no uh, 
uh, economic or military benefits uh, that uh, Washington is willing to give uh, its client states anymore, as you've seen in uh, in Ukraine as well. All their guarantees for, uh, oh, yes, you'll join NATO, went out the window. Oh, yes, we'll stand up for you, went out the window. Well, and what did they send? They send thoughts and prayers and they invite Zelensky to the Oscars. And then they, they feel warm about it. They care about it for two, three weeks. And now they've moved on to the next thing. They don't have the attention span to to play the long game uh, like the Taliban did. Uh, uh, what, did the, what, what did the Afghans say? You might wear the watches, but we have all the time. So now the US has already moved on to Roe versus Wade. They're going to now spend the next three weeks fighting over abortion rights and they'll forget about Ukraine. Just like they've already forgotten about the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan last September. Yes, um, Vibhuti ji, that brings us to the question. What are these geopolitical goals of America? I'm not quite sure whether the present establishment has any kind of clarity about them anymore. You want me to commit suicide? I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can pass it over. You can pass no. it over. Or no, no, uh, actually, is, you can, you can take is, us uh, as uh, one of your, uh, you know, uh, as if you're attending one of your uh, lectures yeah, yeah. or your public addresses and yeah. asking you questions. Yes, sure. I've already so use started. Your, asking... Use your best diplomacy. <laughs> no, no, I have already been started doing that, actually. So, you know, yesterday I was at a very, very uh, poignant moment in uh, history of America, the Veterans Memorial Day. Uh, Veterans Day is coming, and, uh, you know, they are going to start a particular practice which has never been done before. So I was amongst people uh, the entire armed forces, uh, representatives of armed forces, police, fire brigade. And I was very happy to see that I was the only non-white guy there. So I got noticed. And, uh, you know, I met all the elected officials and we talked about this. So the entire issue is there is on one side, you have protecting human values and democratic values. On the other side is how do you do it really? You know, so you engage into conflicts. You fail, you win, but at least you did something. So it becomes, you assume a role of protector. You assume a role, uh, you know, you assume a role of being, uh, you know, advancement of the causes of humanity. But it also puts in current scenario, as you very rightly said, nobody knows what America's, American foreign policy is all about. At least we, not, we do not know anything from the current president, unfortunately, because it is all mired in. And Ruchi made a very good point that we have very short attention span. You know, you, if you notice American sports is all about ending a game with a win or a loss. There is no tie here in any of the American sports. So it is always a high score or a score that produces an outcome. And in the real life, you cannot have an outcome in every conflict. There are things that are deferred for a very long time. So we are living in a digital era now. And in digital era, you stand exposed rather quickly, whether you like it or not. People are seeing, watching, observing. So nobody will ever forget the fiasco called WMD. US credibility has been hit permanently on that account. Nobody will forget the plane load, people falling off the plane in Afghanistan. What the hell were we doing there? 
So things like that are happening. And as a, this Ukraine situation so, shows that it is all a drama. The drama gets visible. And now we are, we are in a time frame where you're, what, whatever you are trying to do, you can't hide anymore. Technology exposes you. We live in a time where I can figure out what is the weather situation and a traffic condition in a street in Ulaanbaatar. We are living in that kind of an era. So people can't hide anymore. If president is mumbling and bumbling, we know instantly what is going on there. But there is a very important thing here. American democracy is backsliding. It is regressing. It is pandering to the communist, socialist, and Islamist ideology that has no belief in in freedoms at all. That's a, that's a very interesting clash that is happening. So when president says Muslims are in America is suffering from Islamophobia and targeted attack, I have the ability to ask, where is the report? Where is the evidence? Who is targeting them? How many were targeted? The questions immediately prop up. And that's what is important for people to know. And that's what Americans are configuring right now. That, hey, people are questioning our integrity. And that integrity is the key thing for America to reestablish. And that's what is going on here right now. The conflict is happening on that account, that we are regressing. One in five Americans believe that it's time for some kind of an autocratic or, you know, process whereby we can force a decision on people who do not want it. You know, it may come as a surprise to many. Silicon Valley is the least democratic place in America. They they start a business. They start a, the innovator, inventor, or the founder starts a business. He wants it to succeed. He doesn't take decision based on a democratic consensus. And in democracy, what is important is rule of law. Capitalism thrives because of rule of law. Just imagine for a moment, Mumbai traffic will go to a standstill if the trains don't run in time. It requires discipline, it requires control, and it requires a, a very determined performance by the people themselves because they will want to have that kind of thing. So we are passing through a very interesting stage of experimentation in which, you know, if we do not do that, we were heading towards a collapse and failure. And nobody wants that. Right. So, Richard, what do you have to say about Vibhutiji's uh, uh, diagnosis of uh, U.S. foreign policy objectives? Because I remember I, I have uh, come across this little flow chart. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that, uh, I, I think you must have seen it also. I, I will try and uh, put it forward. But it sure. says that it has uh, very, very simple objectives. It is okay if there is a foreign country, if it's a democracy, not friendly and poor with no oil, you ignore. If it has lots of oil and mineral wealth <laughs> and has nukes, then kiss their ass. It has no nuclear weapons, then find pretext to invade. <laughs> and if it's a dictatorship, same thing. Not friendly to us, poor with no oil, no nukes, no crisis, ignore. And if it's got lots of oil and mineral wells, has no nuclear weapons, find pretext to invade. Yes. You can also put regime change over there, if not direct invasion. Yes. Or <laughs> sanctions. Put forward that flow charts 
<laughs> yes, please. Yeah, if you can sh- share it on the screen, I'm sure the readers will appreciate that. I think uh, Vibhuti ji, you you mentioned uh, a very good example that uh, uh, when uh, uh, when the president uh, talks about uh, Islamophobia in the U.S., for example, uh, it's really an aesthetic choice. This is just aesthetics masquerading as politics. Because who has killed the most Muslims in the past 20 years? It's the U.S. Army. It's the CIA uh, who have starved people in Iraq first with sanctions. Uh, So not just 20 years, 30 years. uh, With sanctions that prevented uh, uh, medicine and medical uh, equipment to go to uh, children's hospitals in, uh, in Iraq. Uh, by using white phosphorus in uh, in their wars, uh, in uh, in the bombing of uh, of Iraq, in the bombing of uh, of uh, Yugoslavia, uh, who have uh, funded the most virulent uh, uh, extremists uh, in the form of first Al Qaeda uh, to fight the Soviets, and then uh, in the Syrian civil war, their so-called moderate rebels who were just Al Qaeda under new names. And then eventually uh, ISIS itself, and uh, it's common people who, you know, in the Middle East, uh, uh, who have been suffering as a direct result of U.S. military and geopolitical policies. But that's not a conversation they're willing to have. They still maintain that they've done the right thing. They still uh, believe that uh, it was worth it. That, that's what uh, Madeleine Albright said: that 500,000 dead Iraqi children. Uh, you you killed them through your sanctions, through cruel sanctions that were uh, ineffective at any political objective, but they caused suffering. Was this worth it? She said, yes, this is worth it. This was worth it. So that, you know, is the institutionalized Islamophobia that they don't see these people as fully human, as fully deserving of uh, human rights, but they also want to feel like they're good people. And so then you do this big public uh, beating your, your, your breast and uh, self-flagellation that, oh, you know, it's so bad that some people like Trump use mean words on social media. Uh, and that's the real issue. No, that's, that's not anything except aesthetics design, uh, disguised as policy. And you see this with many other things that uh, there's because of 30 years of this neoliberal consensus which both parties have signed up to that they all believe in you know economic uh, center right uh, theories uh, more or less a center to center right uh, neoliberal economics they all believe in uh, neoliberal social policies they all believe in what's called liberal interventionism that uh, it's the the role of the us to spread democracy and to interfere in the sovereign affairs of other uh, countries uh, that means there's very little difference uh, in policies because most of it is preset by the bureaucrats in the Pentagon, by the spies in the CIA, and then you're Here's just the choosing chart. your Here's aesthetic face. Yes, excellent. Uh, could you uh, zoom in again? So regardless of uh, who you vote for, you know they'll just say nice things that oh. Uh, Maybe the Democrats yeah, do care a lot about Islamophobia. They care about a lot about transphobia and LGBT rights. They talk about it and then do nothing about it. And then the Republicans also, they might uh, have their own pet causes, evangelical Christians and their rights. That doesn't always mean they do uh, much about it because at the end of the day, what the state does do is what the CIA, what the Pentagon wants. 
what the deep state, the permanent uh, government, uh, government does. So yes, so would you like so to guide the, us through this flowchart? Yes, I, I'll just guide you through. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's have it in full. I can't see the bottom. Okay. Should we Can turn we off just... our cameras? Uh, oh, here no, we no, it's great. okay. It's okay. You got it. So here, uh, here is this. Uh, the, there is. It starts with uh, uh, how U.S. deals with a foreign country. So on the left hand side is democracy. Right hand side is dictatorship. But if you see the template, it's virtually the same. So democracy, dictatorship, both can be friendly to U.S. So you see the flow chart you're going that 45 degrees. Then you interact in as profitable a manner as possible, period. That's where it ends. Then on both sides, uh, you go down to not friendly to U.S. A democracy not friendly to U.S. There are two varieties. It has poor, has no oil. Just ignore. It doesn't matter. <laughs> then it, if it has lots of oil and mineral wealth, again, there are two categories. It has nukes and it has no nuclear weapons. So if it has nukes, you kiss their ass or harass economically until friendly. If it has no nuclear weapons, then you find pretext to invade. You actually invade, then install pro-US puppet government or in the inter uh, or provoke uprising, install US pro US puppet government. That is your success. Or you provoke civil war and declare it as a failed state. That's on the other side. Then <laughs> dictatorship. It ends exactly the same, and it has the same kind of groupings. Not friendly to US. Poor and no oil, no nukes. Then no crisis, ignore. If it has massive famine or government atrocity, lots of media attention, then help a little bit. If there's no media attention, ignore. If it has no nuclear weapons, very rich, lots of oil, mineral wealth, find pretext to invade, invade, install pro-puppet government, provoke civil war, make it a failed state, or install pro-US puppet government. That's That's it. That is the sum and substance. How do you, how, how do you reckon with this? It's beautiful. It, it's uh, 70 years of uh, Cold War and post-Cold War foreign policy in such a neat diagram. Now you don't even need to go to Georgetown University and study <laughs> foreign <laughs> policy and international <laughs> relations. You have it right there. No, this chart is very good reflection of a very interesting book, which I urge both of you to read and the viewers to read is the, the Confessions of an Economic Hitman. If you have not, there is a new book come on there. Uh, he, he has added another 100 pages and exposed more. So as it is, we can see it is all about economic do domination. And then the media, which the role that they play, how do you create the narrative? and spell it out. What is happening today is that because of the technology, as I always say that information follow, travels faster than lightning. So people are able to know much more than that, than, is, than was obvious earlier on. So as a result of which, there is a major discussion going on here itself on how we are failing the system because you know, democracy, if you look at U.S., since we are talking about U.S., 90% of the economy is in private sector. 
and they need order. They need agreement with politicians. They need a system that allows them to deliver on the promises, right? So this country is all about delivering the promises, the commitment you make. And if you do not de deliver on promises, then your practices are to be re-examined. That's what is going on here right now because people are no longer delivering on promises. So look at the confusion that is happening, but it's happening in almost instantaneously. So Elon Musk takes over Twitter, privatizes it, which will be in another five or six months. It's a big issue for Democrats here, that the billionaire buying that. But billionaire Bezos owning Washington Post and billionaires owning Atlantic Council, well, that's okay, that's my guy. You know, this part doesn't remain hidden anymore. And this comes out. That George Soros promised committed a billion dollars to destabilize, upend, and overthrow Prime Minister Modi and Indian government. Nobody's talking about that. Trudeau uh, did whatever I, I, he I did. I believe George Soros has just recommended Harsh Mandar for uh, a Nobel Prize <laughs> for peace. I thought he will recommend Arvind Kejriwal having won already the MAGSSA award. <laughs> so, you know, this is what we are talking about, how the entire machination happens. Zelensky is another example. So it is now getting exposed. People are now concerned that whatever we did in the past is no longer working. And that's the major concern people are trying to establish now. It is, it is going to be an evolving dialogue, very interesting. This upcoming election is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, the, you know, whether abortion, Roe versus Wade, which is a misguided entire thing, whether all the economy, unemployment, or the cultural invasion that is happening through immigration, which is always creates a cultural challenge. Europe is experiencing that cultural challenge in a big way. So democracies are now trying to figure out, Western world is trying to figure out which part of our imperialism must work. And that's what is in conflict at this point in time right now. Anyway, I'm not going to ask you which side you are going to be on. Uh, on the Roe versus Wade question, because okay, I, I will I will answer that question because this this is going to be part of my debate. You know, uh, there is a very okay. interesting thing here that it is not banning abortion as a woman's right. It's only saying that this is not part of the globe the U.S. Constitution. Abortion doesn't have any mention in the Constitution. And those people who did it when they did it misinterpreted the law. That is why Biden said that if you are going to revisit the decisions again, many laws will have to be changed. And he was pointing out to Second Amendment. So there is a definite political tug of war going on in this. In this particular case, what is going to happen is the right for abortion will revert to the states. So California is going to do a different law. Half the states are already having abortion laws. Half the states have already banned it. So the choice is go ahead and live in the, in the state where you have the freedom to do what you do want to do. People live in California paying 14% state taxes, state taxes. Whereas people move from California, go to Florida or Texas where there are zero income taxes on the state level. So it is all people have the choices and that's what the correction is going to happen. My thought process was, 
Was it essential to do it at this point in time? Is that a necessary revisit? That's all I'm talking about. Well, that's, that's, that sounds pretty silly for a country that regards itself as the what is called protector of democracy everywhere. Uh, anyway, uh, I'll move to Richard now. And before that, I request uh, all my viewers, uh, please fire in your questions. All the new viewers, please do not leave before subscribing. In fact, subscribe right now. And also, the existing subscribers appeal to you to please request your friends and others to start watching Jaipur Dialogues and subscribing. And also uh, watch Jaipur Dialogue USA too. And also Jaipur Dialogues USA because that's where Shri Vibhuti Jha is going to be active till the midterm election cycle. Yeah. Even after that. Yes. I, I Thank you for clarifying. Even, even if he becomes a member of the house, he should continue. He yes. would be continuing to host the show. Yes. Uh, and maybe bringing some very renowned people with the new cloud that he will uh, have. Uh, Richard, mm -hmm. just try and fit in in this flow chart the U.S. foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis Russia. It has never made sense to me after the end of the Cold War. How do you make sense of it? Well, so the, the, uh, Russia is an example of a country that has oil and mil mineral resources and also has nuclear weapons. So the U.S. can't launch a conventional war or invade it. Uh, it's also geographically massive, uh, has a very, very strong historical memory that uh, they were so close to defeat in World War II, which they don't call World War II. They call it the Great Patriotic War because that was the war where the entire country, men, women, were mobilized to fight back from the gates of uh, of Stalingrad, of uh, Moscow, of Leningrad, and went all the way to the German capital and ended the Third Reich. They remember that. They commemorated every day, Victory Day, uh, and uh, the veterans of that uh, that war, you know, they're the grandparents and uh, and great grandparents of today's generations. So it's impossible to <laughs> defeat uh, Russia in a conventional war today with uh, nuclear weapons. It was impossible even in the 40s. It was impossible even for Napoleon uh, in uh, the 1800s. So what do you do? Well, in the late 80s, when uh, Gorbachev uh, became the general secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, uh, he had inherited a stagnant economy. Uh, it had stagnated because of OPEC. So... Uh, uh, and particularly because of Saudi Arabia, that the U.S. had encouraged Saudi Arabia to flood the international oil markets with cheap oil, which drove down the prices of oil in the international markets. And the Soviet Union then, just like Russia now, was a big exporter of oil. And this caused consequences for their economy. They began uh, suffering from economic stagnation and in a moment of, uh, of weakness, uh, Gorbachev reached out to the West and said that uh, we're willing to uh, negotiate a nice, peaceful, dignified end to the Cold War in exchange for your support in uh, refinance and democratization and modernization of the Soviet Union. Now, when this offer was made, 
Western capitals didn't see it as, oh, wow, this is a unique opportunity to set aside our differences and uh, build a joint future together. Uh, I think the only example of that was uh, Mir, the International Space Station. Uh, because scientists and astronauts, cosmonauts, they're above these, literally above the petty concerns of uh, geopolitics. But uh, to them in Washington, D.C., in London, in Bonn, West Germany at the time, this was seen as uh, demonstrating the Soviet Union's weakness. And it was seen as a sign of weakness because they operate in binaries. They respect strength and they bully weakness. When they saw that uh, Gorbachev was so weak that he was relying on them and came in good faith, they took that opportunity to humiliate him, to uh, dismember the country, to carve it up into its component republics, and then sent its uh, finest advisors, these economic hitmen that Vibhutiji mentioned, uh, people like Jeffrey Sachs, uh, who went and told... Uh, uh the decision makers in moscow that oh if you want to be good capitalists you have to privatize everything in the next six months big bang reforms uh forget all these you know pensions and uh, social welfare and social security just create capitalism out of nothing and uh it's called shock therapy it'll revive the economy like shock therapy revives a patient or like jump starting a car what that led to in the 90s was the biggest collapse in human development indexes that has probably ever been seen in the modern world. Life expectancy fell by 10 to 15 years uh, for, for Russian men. Alcoholism went through the roof, child prostitution, human trafficking. It was a disaster. And of course, with that, the economy collapsed as well. And it took uh, until I think 2007 or eight for Russia to reach the economic and social indicators that it had in 1991. So that's how uh, the West helped Russia. Uh, and even during that time, the 90s was the time that the US was the happiest with Russia because there was a drunk alcoholic uh, incapacitated imbecile called Boris Yeltsin. He was an absolute clown, a Zelensky level clown. Uh, who was a complete American <laughs> puppet. Half the time he was drunk, half the time he was incoherent uh, and was basically a mafioso. And uh, he was so corrupt and unpopular that in 1996, in free and democratic elections, the people of, of Russia said, we'll vote back the Communist Party and go back to the way things were before because it was better then. And then Bill Clinton sent his finest political advisors to uh, buy off uh, seats, uh, to, uh, to fix the election, to push negative uh, campaign ads. And uh, it's quite well recognized, both within Russia and outside Russia, that the 1996 elections were fixed to prevent uh, Gennady Zyuganov, the head of the Communist Party of the Russian Federation, from what was a guaranteed victory. So they fixed the election to keep Boris Yeltsin in power, to extend this, it was called the wild 90s. Every, you know, if you were smart and well-connected, you became a millionaire. If you were educated and hardworking and salaried, you became a taxi driver uh, or you uh, emigrated. So, and it was with that, that, uh, that Putin came to power, handpicked by uh, Yeltsin, in fact, in 2000, 
promising to end the wild 90s, to rein in the oligarchs and the, the big billionaires and to create uh, order and peace and prosperity and re return to Russian glory. Now, this is something that's incompatible with, uh, with the American and Western foreign policy mentality, which does not have, a, just like their societies, so Asian societies or even Eurasian societies, uh, so I would say Eastern Europe, for example, have a collectivist spirit wherein you, the individual is not necessarily the center of uh, uh, the smallest unit of uh, society, but it's the family and the family you know, has its own decision-making structure. Whereas in the West, it's individualized. It's an individualistic culture. In the West, just like in their society, their foreign policy uh, makers believe that it's not enough that I succeed, others must fail. It's not enough that I prosper, others must suffer. And they don't feel that they're prosperous unless they look down on someone else who's suffering. And it gives them great perverse pleasure. Uh, this is what Shashi Tharoor, before he uh, lost his mind, uh, along with his uh, secretary general election, uh, wrote in the mid 90s, he called it the uh, pornography of poverty that people loved watching Salam Bombay. They loved watching uh, Slumdog Millionaire because they sat in an air-conditioned theater in uh, in New York for two hours. They looked at all these poor, sad people. Or they loved watching uh, No Man's Land. You remember when uh, at the Oscars, Lagan lost in Best Foreign Picture to No Man's Land. It was a film from Bosnia-Herzegovina about the Yugoslav Wars. They love watching other people suffer because it makes them feel better about the much smaller inconveniences they face in their lives that societal individual mentality percolates all the way to the top this is how those policies are formed it's a reflection an accurate reflection of that culture of that society quite right Richard. i couldn't agree with you more it's a very very a sick way of doing foreign policy and vibhutiji you will have a very large task on hand when you become a lawmaker to correct all these things. And just in the end, Vibhutiji, how does it help America to hound India with all those uh, lectures and uh, federations and uh, all those uh, handouts that they keep giving us uh, free of cost? And of course, uh, there is now a pushback. I think it was very uncharacteristic of India to tell a few things to the Americans and straight from the American mainland. So, uh, where do you uh, think this is going to go? Because it does look like that India is not about to take these things as pliantly or uh, as good-naturedly as it used to do in the past. Though, of course, I am not very sanguine about uh, a, a complete metamorphosis, but certainly some hints of change here. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm nobody is more happy about that change than I am here, singularly speaking. I'm very happy about that change. And if you remember, Sanjayji, we have talked about it on this very show. The time for India is here. We have begun to assert ourselves, our economic might. The economic hitman will not come to India now because they know there is a tremendous amount of prosperity of America linked with India's success. So that's why you see that you know, the Americans have definitely begun to think differently because they, they also realize that, you know, this coronavirus hit 
two most uh, two biggest democracies india and the united states the hardest was it a coincidence were both the countries so inefficient in handling that we had we encountered both the countries encountered the highest amount of deaths and losses so there is an element of chinese gameplay which is very rampant and i think both the countries have recognized this now to what extent biden will give in cave in we do not know that yet but that china is the real enemy is now recognized all over america that china doesn't mean well to us that's my phrase that india also must recognize that regardless of everything else there are two countries who will never mean well to you that is china and pakistan in that part of the world so in the in the us context what is begun to happen is that they have begun to analyze the one thing is given to the us part they analyze it maybe they are analyzing for their own benefit but they keep analyzing the scenario and they keep adjusting so now they recognize that their institutions are under great stress presidency supreme court the law and order the, those very institutions which are supposed to be the bulwark of democracy to hold the system together they are being shaken up in every sense of the term by the left liberals of the world just think about it two of the people like elon musk bill maher both of them said identical thing i didn't leave democratic party democratic party left us and bill maher saying that is a big deal because he has gone on record he's he's a, one of the biggest sympathizers of the left liberal ideology he says you have left me behind so there is an ideological churning going on in the us right now big time and they cannot afford the failure of their institutional framework that's why the law and order protection of in my neighborhood in long island the police distributed pamphlets that people from bronx and yonkers are coming to steal cars here which is a, long island is in is among the top 10 peaceful uh, communities in america and very prosperous community in america here also now people are being targeted so do you think people are happy about it absolutely not and i am saying aoc and her gang please take your party to further left that will be definitely heralding my win <laughs> oh yes make bernie sanders the candidate is it <laughs> make bernie sanders the candidate yeah that would be wonderful and as a, as i one more last point which i wanted to just say here wokeism is a fad it's not a fashion fashion also lasts fashion has the ability to last for a while it is a fad and it will fade because people are tired and sick of it even wokes are unhappy about the way they are doing their things right now <laughs> yeah, even in the country where postmodernism was invented in france i think france is the most anti woke country uh, exactly. uh, in yeah. the world today that's right oh, yes 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 uh, they are swinging towards the right very much so i think now it's time for us to take the audience questions uh, let's go straight into the audience questions now <laughs> 